So let's look at the text, John chapter 12. If you would turn in your Bibles, John chapter 12. We're going to read the first 11 verses. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not on a only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Jesus to death as well, to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. I've titled the message this morning, The Worth of the Savior. The Worth of the Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to read your word, to preach your word, to hear your word, and I pray that you would Help me as, as, I, as, as I preach. I pray that those that are here today, that they would, they would leave this message understanding the true worth of Jesus Christ and that they would be changed forever. And Lord, I pray this morning you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The true worth of the Savior. You know, the things or people that we find valuable the things that we find valuable, the people that we say are valuable, we treat them accordingly, don't we? The things that we place high value on. Uh, what about that, that boat that you buy that you have for about three or four years and you sell it later? <laughs> but that boat when you first buy it, what about that new car when you first buy it? Uh, I just got a new car recently and I, I think I've washed it about 20 times since I bought it, right? We, we hold high value the things, we, we treat with care the things that we place in high value. I remember growing up, I would collect baseball cards whenever I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, into my teenage years. I probably have 20,000 baseball cards in boxes, and, and I would keep them in little sleeves to make sure that the edges didn't get messed up, and, and, and we, we protect things that we say we value. What about people? Those are just things, things that will fade away over time. What about people, the, the ones that we love? If we say that we value them and we love them, we will treat them with value and care and concern, right? Because what we say about somebody, our actions prove whether or not we really value them or love them. And in this text in John chapter 12, there's going to be two people we're going to look at. We're going to look at Mary, who we read in the text. She, she, she gave an act of sacrificial worship. She took a bottle of perfume, of costly per, perfume and ointment, and she anointed the feet of Jesus, the head of Jesus. And then you have Judas, who the text says will betray Jesus. And Judas has a different response. He has a different response to Jesus. He has a response to Mary and Mary's act of worship. And, and so really in this text this morning, what we're going to look at is that this celebration that's going on in the, in the house of, of, of Simon, in this, this celebration was, was in honor of Lazarus who was raised. They have a dinner for him. And Mary responds with worship towards Jesus, and Judas responds with 
hatred towards Jesus. And so we're going to look at those two responses. And what I want to do, though, I don't want to start with Mary, as the text does, and then end with Judas. Who, who would like to start with Judas and let's end with Mary? So we'll start with the, the negative aspect of this. And, and this is how we're going to frame it. What are we going to learn? What do we learn from the, these two different stark, this contrast, stark contrast between responses towards Jesus? What are we going to learn? What do we learn from their responses? Well, the first thing that we learn, and you'll see this in your handout if you have it, you'll see it on the screen. The first thing we learn, particularly from Judas, is that it is foolish to believe that there is anything worth more than Christ. We see this right from the text. It's foolish to believe there's anything worth more than Christ. Let's look back to the text, John 12, 4 through 6. Again, context. Mary has just broken a very expensive uh, bottle of perfume on Jesus, and this is Judas's response. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So Judas, before we talk about his response, I think it, we can't really get too far in this account, in this message, where we understand who Judas is. Judas, who is Judas? Judas was a disciple. Judas Iscariot was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. This is an amazing reality in this story, that Judas was a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, I think Matthew 9, 9 tells us what it means to be a disciple. Jesus called a disciple Matthew. Listen to this. As Jesus passed on his way from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. Or another way to say it is a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, is someone who patterns their life after Jesus. Jesus is leading the way, and the disciple is submitting their life to Jesus, and they're following him. So Judas was a disciple. Isn't that shocking to think about? Because we know the end of the story, don't we? Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss in the garden, right? He's one of the ones that are used of Satan and, of, and a part of God's purposes for the betrayal of Jesus. And so it's really shocking for us to realize that Judas followed Jesus. What, what would have Judas experienced when he followed Jesus? Let's think about a little further about what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. Judas walked with Jesus for over three years up to this point. He was taught by Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. He saw the compassion of Jesus. You remember when you read through the Gospels, you see the compassion of Christ. Judas got to have a front row seat to the love and the compassion of Christ. Judas heard the powerful teaching of Jesus. You know, as it's said in the Gospels, that when people would hear Jesus, they would say that no one has ever spoken like this man. Judas got to have a front row seat to seeing this, to experiencing this. What, a, what an amazing picture, right? Judas witnessed the overwhelming miracles of Jesus. I think of, of two profound miracles that, that, that Judas would have witnessed. Uh, that, that there was one occasion where Jesus fed over 5,000 men. And the text in the Gospels that gives the account of 
the feeding of the 5,000 says that that was not including women and children. So from five loaves and two fish, Jesus multiplied the five loaves and the two fish, and he was able to feed upwards of eight to 10,000 people. Judas witnessed that miracle and no doubt was one of the ones that Jesus gave the food to to pass out to the crowd. Because he was one of the original 12. He was not on the outside, he was on the inside. You ever want to be on the inside of something? Right, the inside crowd, that was Judas. He was on the inside, right? Here's another miracle Jesus, that Judas witnessed. He witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Wow. What must that have been like to be there? We talked about this over the last two or three weeks. Last month, we talked about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. What would it have been like? Judas saw it. Can you imagine what it would have been like to see that miracle? And what would it have been like to see the love in Jesus' eyes and his compassion when Jesus is weeping over the brokenness of humanity at Lazarus' tomb? When he's weeping over Mary and Lazarus and Martha? What would it have been like Judas was there? If Judas could talk to us now, he could tell us what it was like. This is Judas. So what is his response to the Mary of Bethany breaking the jar and pouring out the perfume on Jesus as an act of worship? Another question should be, what should have been his response? Again, after all that he saw, after all that he witnessed, after experiencing the love of Christ, what should have been Judas's response? He should have got down on the ground with Mary and worshiped Jesus with her. But what was his response? Look back to verse five. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Matthew's account there's three accounts in the Gospels to this story of Mary worshiping Jesus in this way. Matthew's account, Matthew 26, 8 says this, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? So the full picture is that all the disciples were upset about it, but Judas was the spokesman. He says, why this waste? It could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. So let's, let's understand what that means, 300 denarii. Let's put some value that we would understand what that means that, 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 to, to explain why they were saying this. And so 300 denarii would have been approximately about a year's wage for a common Jewish slave of, of that day. It would have been just what would have been maybe a denarii per day. So give or take a year's salary. Put into our dollar amounts from that time, it would have been around $10,000. So think about a $10,000 container of perfume, of ointment. Can you imagine that? $10,000 worth of perfume? I mean, you got to dab that for the rest of your life, right? I mean, you got to like just put a little bit here, there. That's got to, that's got to last for generations. Actually, that could have been what was going on here. Some theologians say that it could have been a family heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation. So it lasted for an entire family's generations, right? So so the question is, is, was Judas worried about giving to the poor, as he said? Well, no, the text said it, right? Look at 12.6. He said this. He talked about the waste and could have been given to the poor, not because he cared about the poor. But why? Why did he say this? Because he's a thief. If you were, if you were, if you were Judas's best friend, watch your back pocket. Watch your wristwatch, right? He could have been slick. But he, he didn't care about the poor. 
he said this because he was a thief and having charge of the money back, he was the treasurer of the, of the group of disciples that followed Jesus. He took care of their finances because they, they, they lived together, they, they, they slept in the same place together, they ate together. It was this vagabond group of, of, of people following Jesus. And, and so, so this is Judas. He was the treasurer. He had the money back. And it says that he used to help himself out of what he would put in it. Isn't that crazy? So he didn't care about the poor. But he, but he was a thief who only cared about himself. He only cared about himself. You know, it's true that a thief, a thief only cares about him or herself, right? A thief represents one of the ultimate reflections of self-centered thinking. A thief represents one of the ultimate reflections of self-centered thinking. So let's stop and think about this for a moment. Judas only cared about himself. And you see it right here, don't you? Judas, after walking with Jesus in an intimate way, after seeing the miracles and looking in his eyes and being loved by Jesus and hearing his teaching, all he can see in this moment is a dollar sign connected to a bottle of perfume, and he doesn't care about the poor. He's thinking about the money that he'll be able to take when they sell, if they could sell the perfume and how much he would be able to pocket. He can only see himself. Jesus to Judas was less valuable than money and the material possessions that come from it. That's Judas's perspective about Jesus. Greed and idolatry put together, that sums up Judas. Greed and idolatry. Greed leads to idolatry. Idolatry leads to greed. And, 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 and at the heart of it, Judas was an idolater. Who did Judas worship? Did he worship Jesus? Who did Judas worship? He worshiped himself. In that moment when Mary is breaking the alabaster flask of costly perfume and ointment, Judas is not gonna join in to worship Mary from a pure heart because Judas cannot worship Christ because Judas is an idolater, because Judas worships himself. He worships himself. And when you look throughout the Gospels, there's so many accounts you could look at that talk about the worth of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the value of the kingdom of God. And there's two areas that stand out to me that Judas could not see in this moment. Jesus told two short parables in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Listen to the first parable, the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field which a man found and covered up. He found the treasure, he, he hid it in the field and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What's the picture here? He found something that didn't belong to him in a field that didn't belong to him. So his logic is in this parable is let me bury it in the ground so that I can go buy the field so that I can have rightful claim to the treasure. So he sells all that he has in this parable because the treasure is worth it all. That's the value of Christ. That's the value of his kingdom that, that we would give all that we have and all that we are. Another parable following that is a parable, the pearl of great value, pearl of great price. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding the one pearl of great value went and did what? Sold all. He had and bought it. You get a theme there? Christ is so valuable. The kingdom of God is so valuable that we would sell all. There's no price tag connected to that. Give all. Judas could not give all because Judas, 
Judas only worshiped himself. And the kingdom of heaven that has come alive in someone's heart looks like seeing the value of Christ accurately. And so we can say very clearly from this text that the kingdom of Christ had not come alive in the heart of Judas because he did not see the value of Christ accurately. Because it looks like selling all to have Jesus. It looks like seeing Jesus as the most valuable reality of this life and the life to come. Jesus said earlier in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. For he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, Judas, Judas, you cannot serve God and money. Right? You see it here? You see the parallel? Mary is worshiping. And Judas is worshiping as well. But he's worshiping the God of money. He's worshiping the God of himself. Judas had a master. He did have a master, and it wasn't Christ. His master was his love for money and the things that money affords. Judas worshiped money over Jesus. Judas worshiped himself over Jesus. And and here's what I would say today. If you look around in our world today, the worship itself is truly the most popular false religion. Would you not agree with me? The worship of self is the most popular false religion. I, I saw this video, and it, 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 really, it really summarizes what I'm saying here. It puts it into a, a great illustration of the sadness to which we have fallen as a society in the worship of ourself. I saw this video. I didn't even know this existed. Um, you can have surgery to... Get taller if you want to become taller. Did you know that? There was a man, a young man in his 20s. He withheld his identity from the video, disguised his voice, because he was rightfully so embarrassed, but he still did the video. He spent $100,000 to go from 5'7 to 5'10. The the surgeon had had to cut his legs at the femur bone, put in rods in both legs, and over three months, the bone where he cut out, the bone would grow in and fill in, and the guy over three months would get taller, and eventually he peaked at five foot ten. And as I was listening to this account, I was thinking, listening to his words, and he was talking about how he was, he'd be on social media and he'd see all these tall men and all these tall men with all the ladies and tall men have the better jobs and tall men become CEOs. And, and, and I'm just thinking, look at the idolatry of self in this video. The self-absorbed nature of our society in our society now. Can you imagine in the 16, 1700s, somebody saying, hey, I want to cut up with my legs so I can be taller? I'm telling you. We are at the pinnacle of idolatry, of self, self worship. We will do anything, spend whatever the amount. And when they asked him about the price, he said, It's just money. It's just money. He said, I took out a sizable loan. The headlines that we read every day on any given day reflect the idolatry of self worship and the painful effects on everyone that get in the way of that self-worship. So it's true today that there are churches that have more people in them that were here last Sunday, but there are still people that aren't here today worshiping Christ. And here's, I think, the reason why. Some do not have time to worship Christ. 
because they can't fit him into their already full schedule of worship. Right? And this is Judas. I don't have time for this. This is too valuable for me to waste on Jesus. My time's too valuable to waste on Jesus. This is too much money. It could be used for other things. So, so the question we end when we're thinking about Judas is this. What, what value do we place on Christ? How do we evaluate this world and all it has to offer? Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Jesus then told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Not just 300 denarii worth. Not just $10,000 worth. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What is shocking about this is that Judas heard these words. He heard those words, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And the reality is that those piercing words that Judas heard in the end did not take root in his heart and Judas lost his soul because he loved the world more than he loved Christ. Aren't you glad I ended, I'm ending with Mary instead of Judas? Send you guys out with Judas there. You guys ready to pivot? So what, what do we learn from Judas? We learn that it, is, it truly is a foolish belief that anything is worth more than Christ. Now let's look at Mary of Bethany. What will we learn from her sacrificial offering of worship? Well, the second thing we learn is this, is that the only reasonable response is to worship Christ as infinitely valuable. It's the only reasonable response. So look back to the text, John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner, a dinner for him there for, for Lazarus. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the other account in Matthew says that she she also put it on his head. It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You could smell it everywhere. So what's the scene? Jesus returns to the city of Bethany after Lazarus was raised six days before Passover. And Jesus returns for a meal in honor of Lazarus. Can you imagine, you know, sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to stop and think. That's a good suggestion. Read the Bible, you stop and think about, what would that have been like? When it says in the text, Lazarus was reclining at table. Can you imagine being at that table? I mean, think about it. These are friends of Lazarus. He was dead for four days, now he's alive, now he's eating bread dipped in olive oil and vinegar and salt and pepper, right? Can you imagine sitting next to Lazarus, he was, he's your friend and he was dead. Lazarus, I know you were dead, but could you, could you pass the bread now? <laughs> what would that have been like? How amazing is that? What a celebration. And I, I think it's interesting to note that Martha, it says, it takes note of Martha here that she was serving. Isn't that what Martha did? 
I just want to give all the Marthas out there a, a, a little grace here. Martha was worshiping by her serving. Mary was worshiping by sitting at Jesus' feet. Both were worshiping. Just a little different. So what does Mary do? Mary takes a pound. Um, in studying it this week, some say it was actually more like 12 ounces, so maybe the size of a can of Coke, right? But it was expensive. It could have been a, a family heirloom, but it was, it's, the text says it was pure nard. And what was nard? Nard was this perfume, an ointment that was imported from India. And so this ointment, this perfume, it, it had such a, a strong smell to it. It was put in an alabaster container. An alabaster was made out of a, a combination of a, a variety of fine marble. So not, not only was the ointment valuable, but the alabaster container that held the ointment was valuable. And so this perfume was a very costly act of worship. So just as we tried to figure out why Judas wouldn't worship Jesus, and we kind of explained that, my question is, why did Mary do this? Why did she do this? I, I, I think of really two reasons why, main reasons why Mary did it. I, I, I think one main reason is that Mary was grateful for the compassion of Christ that was demonstrated in the, in the raising of her brother Lazarus. Wouldn't you be grateful? If your brother was dead for four days and he was raised from the dead by Jesus, wouldn't you want to express your gratitude? So, so here's what I think of. When I think of genuine, heartfelt, pure worship, here's what I think of. Gratefulness for what Christ has done is at the heart of genuine worship. Gratefulness for what Christ has done is at the heart of genuine worship. And in Mary, you see the heart of genuine worship. So I have to believe that at the heart of that genuine worship is gratefulness for what he's done. For what he's done for her and for her brother and her sister. I love Psalms 9, verse 1 through 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. How often do you stop and think about all that God has done for you? I challenge you, if you stop and think about all that God has done for you, it won't be too long in your moment of thinking that you're going to break out in praise. You're going to break out in worship because gratefulness is at the heart of genuine worship. So why else does Mary make this extravagant expression of worship? I, I think a second reason is this, is that Mary knew who Jesus was. And she knew what he had come to do, and she believed in him. She believed in him. She knew who he was. She knew what he came to do, and she believed on him. Well, how do I know that? Well, because Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and she listened. There's another account in Luke chapter 10, listen to this account, another occasion where Jesus is in Mary and Martha's house. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. And what did Mary do? Listened to his teaching. So why is Mary worshiping Jesus? Certainly, yes, it's because she's grateful for what she's done, what he's done for Lazarus. But I believe that if anyone sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to his teaching, that faith will rise in their heart. It has to. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says so. The Bible tells us so. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Mary could not sit very long at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching and, and lean in. When it talks about sitting at his feet, I don't think she's sitting at his feet leaning back in a lackadaisical type of attitude and posture. I think she's sitting at his feet leaning in, listening. You know, there, there, there's a difference. You can sit and listen, but you can sit and listen. I think it's true anytime you come here on Sunday, you can sit and listen popping your gum, checking the master's score. By the way, don't tell me anything that's going on. I'm going to find out later, right? You could be on Facebook, social media. All right, Pastor Ben, I got food to eat, things to do. Or you can be sitting there at the edge of your seat with your Bible open, ready, and listening. And I believe this is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And as she's listening to his teaching, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So here's the pattern. Listening produces faith, which faith produces belief and belief produces confession. Do you hear it? Listening produces faith. Faith comes by hearing. Belief comes through faith. And when you believe, you'll confess. Do you believe today? Do you believe today? Have you heard the word of God? Have you heard the word of Christ? Maybe today you're ready to confess that Jesus is Lord. Maybe you're ready today to confess, to repent of your sins, to place your faith in Jesus Christ because you've heard the gospel today in scripture readings. You've heard it in song and you're hearing it in this message. And maybe today will be the day that you will go from listening to confession. Confessing from your heart that Jesus is God. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and she listened to his teaching, and she believed in, in who he was and what he came to do, and then she worshiped him extravagantly. Again, let's not forget Judas too quickly. By contrast, Jesus, Judas sat at Jesus' feet as one of his disciples, didn't he? But he didn't believe, and therefore he couldn't worship anyone but himself. Another little side note here. We call our daughters Mary. Do we have any Judases here today? You know what Judas means? It means treachery. If you're thinking about naming your son Judas, please don't. <laughs> we don't call people Judas. Why? For obvious reasons. We call our daughters Mary. What a beautiful name. So, what does Jesus say about Mary's act of worship? We heard Judas' response to the, the act of worship that Mary gave. Well, what does Jesus say? Look back at the text, John 12, 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Matthew's account in Matthew 26 says it like this. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Which leads me to believe Mary knew who he was. She knew what he was here to do, and she worshipped him. She understood who Jesus was. She understood the work he had come to do. And Mary saw Jesus as worthy of this sacrificial offering. So what about us today? Do we see Jesus as Mary of Bethany did? Do we see him for who he is? And do we understand the work that he's done? And do we see him as worthy? 
Do we have the right eyes to see? I love what the Bible exposition, excuse me, the Christ-centered exposition commentary says about this section and this story. It says this, if we really see Jesus for who he is, the almighty, infinite God of the universe who condescended to take on human form so that he could die a brutal death in the place of his rebellious creatures, if we understand his beauty, that he is the all-satisfying, wondrous, joyful God who promises to give peace, blessings, and satisfaction in himself to those who come to him. If we get this, how could we possibly withhold anything from him? Right? How could we possibly, if we see him as Mary saw him, how could we not worship him as Mary did? How could we possibly withhold anything from him? Matthew's account here, as we conclude, Matthew's account of the story ends with a powerful declaration from our Lord about the impact of Mary's sacrificial act of worship. So, so far, we've seen, as we conclude, we, we, we've seen Judas's response to Jesus. And we really learn that it is, it's, truly, it's truly tragic that anyone would ever believe that there's anything worth more than Christ. And we see through, through Mary that the only reasonable response because of all that Christ has done is that we would worship him because he's infinitely valuable. And now you have this powerful concluding statement from Jesus in Matthew 26. The account, the same account from John 12, but Matthew, Matthew's account of it. Matthew 26, 13. Listen to what Jesus says after Mary's worship. After he rebukes the disciples and Judas for rebuking her, he says this. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What is Jesus saying there? He, he just said, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, I've heard a lot of gospel messages. I don't know about you. And I'm preaching a gospel message about this account. But I have very rarely ever heard a gospel message that's not in John 12 or Matthew 26 is specifically talking about Mary that references Mary. Have you? You don't hear that very often, do you? You don't, what Jesus, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So what does it mean? What, what's Jesus saying there? Here's what I think he's saying. Wherever the gospel is preached and believed, genuine, extravagant worship like Mary's on that day will follow. Let me say that again. Wherever the gospel is preached and believed, genuine, extravagant worship like Mary's on that day will follow. And it will be in memory of her, in memory of what she did, of that sacrificial worship of Christ, that she was willing to give all to worship her Savior. In memory of Mary, in memory of her pure and sacrificial worship. You know, what's interesting when we think about this, you know, Jesus had a memory as well. Jesus was a man that had a memory. And it makes me think about Jesus' memory, where sacrificial worship takes place, pure, extravagant worship from a genuine believer. You might think of Mary, but did Jesus think of Mary? 
after this event? I think he probably did. I, I can't necessarily prove it to you in scripture, but it's something really interesting to think about. I want you to think about 16 ounces approximately of high dollar perfume that was intended for burial purposes for Jews. They didn't embalm their dead. They doused them in spices and perfume. Think about it. It wasn't just poured on his feet, like John said. Matthew says it was also poured on his head. So Jesus got anointed with 16 ounces of perfume. Think about your most expensive perfume that you could buy. Let's just go at your house. Let's dump that over your head. Now, you may take a shower because you have running water. But they didn't take baths like back then like we do today, right? So what happened the next day? after Jesus was doused with 16 ounces of costly perfume. The next day, look at, look at John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. What happened the next day? After Mary poured about a pound of pure nard on Jesus' head and on his feet, what happened, was, what happened was that the crowd began to yell, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. Palm branches came down. This is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry. So surely the scent would have lingered the next day as the crowd was laying the branches down, yelling, Hosanna in the highest. What about this? Maybe perhaps just two or three days later, just a few days later, maybe perhaps the scent even lingered with each step he took towards the cross. And with every step, maybe Jesus could smell the remnants of Mary's sacrificial worship. Can you imagine that? Think about what that would have been like if, if, there, was, if there was any, this is hypothetical, if there was any remnant of Mary's sacrificial worship on Jesus' body as he's being whipped, as he's taking the crown of thorns, as he's being abused and cursed at and spit at, perhaps he could smell just a hint of Mary's sacrificial worship. And it kept driving him to the cross. It kept him persevering to complete the work of redemption. With every step, maybe he could smell her worship. May this be true of our lives as well. That with every step we take, with all of our lives, that every step we take, every decision we make, every relationship we're in, wherever we go, that our lives are like a sweet-smelling aroma that grows up to Christ of genuine worship. Now, I've got Bible for that. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 15. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance, through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. What do people smell when they're around you? (laughs) They smell because you didn't wear deodorant or do they smell Christ? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. Amen? Amen. May this be true of us. I'll end end with this. An excerpt from a Desiring God article. Listen to these words. If any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, don't listen. Let your affections for Jesus be lavish. If any voice tempts you to want to be rich in money instead of rich in Christ, do not listen. 
Jesus is your riches. And all that money can buy cannot compare to him. If any voice tells you that his death is anything less than the triumph over death, do not listen. For he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. Amen? He is risen today. Amen? He is risen. And he is worthy. He is worthy of our extravagant worship. Do you believe that? 